G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. And an opportunity over this coming hour to explore some dimensions around the value of having a family and some of those things that make a Christian family model so empowering. As the years roll by, so many of us have seen changes in our families. The changes are often beyond our control. And sadly, some of us are left on the periphery and feel isolated and rejected. A new Christian children's book tells the story of a two-year-old boy who is called Favour. At the age of two, Favour embarked on a spirited journey from an orphanage in Liberia in West Africa to his adoptive family's home in Alaska, the northwest extremity of the United States. Favour was initially placed in an orphanage by his birth mother to ensure that he would receive the food and resources that he needed to have a healthy childhood. For Favour's birth mother, this was the hardest day of her life. But she had no other choice than to make sacrifices to provide for her son. Well, we're talking about the value of family today with children's author Anne Weaver a mother of three with her youngest son adopted from Liberia in Africa. Anne's book is called Favour, A World Turned Upside Down. Anne wrote her book so that her youngest son would know where he came from. Anne Weaver is joining us on the line from Alaska in the United States. Anne, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you so very much. Wonderful to be here. Well, Anne, let's talk about your book and give us a a big picture here. Favour, a young boy born in Africa, has his world turned upside down when he's adopted into your family, Anne? It's amazing. I've never thought about how much of a difference it is from Africa until Alaska, until I've watched my son as he went from people, first of all, people who were dark-skinned to people who were mostly pink, people who had a different way of speaking. It's the same language, but a different pronunciation, much like I sound to you, actually. (laughs) Um, And then you've got just the temperature is different and the humidity is different. I mean, every single thing that you can think of that could possibly change did. And so then it's a journey of how do I take these circumstances that I'm thrust into, he didn't ask for this change, and still, you know, using a saying that we use a lot here in America is blooming where I'm planted. How can I have this big dramatic change and actually excel and enjoy it? Let's- and that's Yep. I was going to say, let's get a little bit of a focus here on that time of the adoption and uh, when favour came into your favour and uh, and you made a choice there and, and clearly there's another family involved here too because favour's birth mother, who's known as Mama Grace, 
is in the mix here too. It it must have been a time where there would be all sorts of tensions and uh, feelings and emotions. Can you take us back to that time? Absolutely. And you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but it causes me to tear up when I think about that time. But because I know I'm a mom, I now have three children, which means how would I feel having to give up a child because I can't take care of them? So that always causes me to tear up. It brings me great to an emotional spot, but that's a wonderful place to be because God works so well with when we're, you know, when we're emotional. So please bear with me as I tear up a little bit. That's right. So one of the thought processes in this whole time was I'm taking a child that you've given birth to, that you love, that you've called favor, that that he's got the favor of God upon him. And I'm going to take this child out of your arms and bring him into ours. So how can I do this in such a way where I acknowledge your sacrifice? Because I guarantee you, she didn't want to do that. Favor is actually her third, uh, third-born child. Um, all three of them have gone through this process. And the situation in Liberia is one where if you don't have resources, if you don't have a job, if you don't have, you literally don't eat. And she's a teenage mom. Um, and there's just the lifestyle and the culture is one that, uh, that created these beautiful children that she was not able to take care of. So as the adoptive mom, it was my responsibility to understand her hurt as best I could and to accept her and want her to know that it's okay. That favor, you know, we intentionally raise favor to honor Mama Grace. So at the time of separation, when we met her the first time, I actually was holding favor in my arms. When we met her the first time, the first thing I did is I reached him out and I handed him back so that she could see that she was a part of our family, not, you know, the unwanted black sheep, for lack of a better term. Um, and that's where our journey started together was our invitation of her and our family. Our children, our older children, made a point of showing her pictures of their home, of, um, you know, of, of where Favor would be sleeping at night, and what could we do to give her the sense of peace that her choice was actually a good one, even though it was really tough. I imagine that in a place like Liberia, and I've never been there, but we're talking about a West African nation, widespread poverty, there would be no doubt some family cultural ways in which a child could be cared for by wider family. But when there is this issue of poverty, and and as uh, we said in the introduction, where uh, Mama Grace felt she had no other option than to put her son up for adoption, and here you are, Anne, arriving on the scene with your husband, Beau, and offering what must be for Mama Grace a beautiful family home. But the big downside, of course, is that the little boy is going to be taken to almost the other side of the world. How does that sort of thing settle in your heart when you're making those sorts of decisions? That's a great question. And I guess the number one thing, when, before we ever left 
what my husband and son and daughter prayed for over and over again is that this was God's will. Because we didn't want to bring into our family somebody who wasn't meant to be uh, a, to be a weaver. We wanted to really take our time to let God lead because this is such a big deal for everybody involved, whether it be Mama Grace and Favor and the rest of us. So we went into it with a tremendous amount of prayer and determined patience. And I say it that way because you want to jump in, you want to get her done, but it's the, no, we will not get ahead of God's leading. And it took several years for this process to happen. We actually met Favor when he was three months old and didn't get to pick him up until he was 23 months old. So that was really hard to wait, but we didn't want to get ahead. But the whole process of preparing our own children to be excited to, to meet Favor's birth mom, to be able to bring her into the family. The first day we met her, after several hours, we asked if we could take a picture with her. And that picture I think about a lot because she's so... This is still just the first day we'd met, and though it had been several hours, we speak a different dialect. It was very hard to understand each other. So she still thinks that she's being judged. And so we took this picture, and you can see in the picture her eyes are lowered. She's very, she looks like she's been beat up. And she, she agreed to the picture, but it was sad. The next, you know, over the course of a couple of days, we spent more time with her, and she saw how much we, we include her in our family and in our prayers. And at the very last moment, when we were all kind of separating, the big separation, she came to us with a big smile. She asked for a photo. She's proud in the photo, and she's standing up straight, and her eyes are up. And then she, we take this photo that she's very pleased to be in, and she looks us in the eyes and says, thank you. How many years have passed since then, Anne? It's been a year and a half. In October, he will have been home longer than he was in Africa. And so his, his, real, well, his real name is Favor. His birth mother gave him that name. You've given to him a westernized name, uh, Caleb. Is there any reasoning for that? There is. And actually, it's so our whole family, we truly believe in walking in the blessings of God. And so with every single name, my oldest daughter is Hannah um, and then Ezra. And it, actually, it's, it, there's more to that, I have to say. Hannah Gabriella, uh, Ezra Joshua. And the reason why that's important is there was so much prayer that went into the names. Well, Hannah's son, Samuel, and Joshua's partner in remembering to stand with God was Caleb. Caleb's American name is Caleb Samuel Favor Weaver. Tied him right into who we are as a family. Um, directly connected him to to his brother and sister Hannah and Ezra, but keeping the precious memory of who he is as his mom labeled him as favor, um, a bio biological mom from the get-go. So we chose to bring all of our family, and then of course the last name Weaver, so that he is completely tied into our family in a way that 
you know, Samuel and Caleb and Joshua, they're, they're heroes. They're heroes. So tying them in right there to the Word of God, that was so valuable to us. And our kids got to be a part of naming him, and that made them feel so good. <laughs> yes. And when we talk about children, and uh, we, we've got a blended family situation here, and it's not the same sort of blended family that happens typically when there are some uh, family breakdowns and people get separated and uh, there's remarriages and there's... But some of those sorts of separations and broken families, uh, they have the same principles when you're actually building a family culture. And uh, this is the sort of thing that you're talking about in your book a little. It's this value of family. And you and your husband, you work very hard to make sure that your family is going to be one unit all together. How do you think it's working so far? I love your statement of we work so hard at it. And the reason why I love that is it's intentional. It's easy to say, you know, before, as as we were preparing Hannah and Ezra for this addition to our home, and as we kind of planned our own um, strategy, it was all about how do we, excuse me, how do we set up the culture that we want him to be a part of? And I don't mean American culture. I don't mean any of that. I mean our family culture. We have to know who we are so that when this child who is now possibly, you know, you often when you have those kinds of separations, the number one question kids tend to ask is, well, who does that make me? Whether it be a divorce, whether it be whatever the situation is, I remember a story a couple years ago where there is a grandpa and his three-year-old grandson were on a tractor and something dramatic happened. I don't know the whole story and it doesn't really pertain to this, but the grandpa ended up being thrown from the tractor and ended up um, actually dying in this situation. So remember, this is a three-year-old child with a fully grown man. Well, I talked to that three-year-old child seven years later, so he's about 10, and his response was, I should have saved him. Well, you were three. There's no way that you could have stopped that separation. It was completely out of your power. But what do we as humans do? My parents split up. It was probably my fault. Um, my grandpa died in a tractor. I should have saved him. My mom had to give me up because there wasn't enough food to feed me. I should have eaten less. We tend to take the responsibilities that really are way outside of our control and heap them upon ourselves. So as we were approaching that concept of if, if favor is going to question and wonder who he is and wonder, was I at fault about this? Was, you know, what could I have done to make changes? What can we do to give him the assurance that it was outside of his control, but in God's control? And what can we do to lay down such a strong family culture now that we're blending our family together that when somebody says to him, you're brown and your family's pink, why? He's going to be able to say, because God brought me into this family. And, you know, and, and it, the whole concept of beauty to, from ashes to beauty, we want him to know his story so well that nobody else can shake it. They can certainly question and make him kind of reevaluate because we do that our whole lives. 
but I don't want him to question who he is. I want him to know who he is. So we have to know who we are so that we can invite him into the family and then give him full freedom to be himself. So often, whether it be divorce or, or, or whatever the situation is, death, sometimes we try to take a child and take this square child and stuff them into a round hole. And you can't do that. We can say, okay, this is the family you're a part of. Now, who are you? And we can foster, we can foster their individuality while giving them a very secure foundation of who they are in their family. Some very special things, Anne, in having a biblical Christian foundation to what our family is. And part of that, no doubt, is this connection to heritage, this connection to identity. And when you talk about being intentional, the things you've got to work hard at is the way that we frame the identity of our kids. Is this something that you feel you glean from your Christian roots, from your understanding of the Bible, from the way that you want to raise a family before God? 100%. Because if, you know, it goes back to the statement of if God is my father, then who am I? I'm a child of the king. And so because he's never going to really be able, I mean, we know who his biological mom is. I know the name of his biological father. We do what we can to keep his culture just familiar to him, his original culture. But he also is in a new world now. He's in a different place with a different family. So how can we keep his heritage alive? We have to think beyond the physical. And when we go to God's plan for family, this is not a surprise to God that favors in our family. Ten years ago, I guess 12 years ago now, my husband and I felt it on our hearts to pray for our future child that would come from Africa. We had no idea that that was actually going to happen, but it was placed on our hearts. This is not an accident. This is a plan and a purpose from God. So when we talk about, when we go back to, to what does the Bible say, you know, so often, I love the story of Rahab, for example. She was in Jericho, and she had to make the choice to join the Israelites. And then once she joined the Israelites, she's great-grandma to King David. So, or great-great, one of those. <laughs> But God was able to take this lineage from somebody who was not a part of his original family, so, so to speak, but one of his children, bring her into his fold, and so ingrained her in his people that she became, you know, great, great, great grandma to Jesus. That's tremendous. So we absolutely take that focus and apply it not only with favor, but also with brother and sister. With <laughs> I, I giggle because when we first brought him into our home, we didn't call each other Hannah and Ezra. We called each other mom, dad, sister, and brother. That way, he would call each he would call us by those titles. So to this day, we have a tendency to slip in and accidentally say sister or brother because that was our first names with each other. Yep. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. 
Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation today as we talk about the value of a family. Our special guest is Anne Weaver. Anne's book is called Favour, A World Turned Upside Down. We're talking about the adoption of a little two-year-old boy from Liberia in West Africa. And Anne, in this part of our conversation, we're not too far out from uh, news. So let's just touch on something here, which I think will be important. And that is the way that we intentionally uh, take control, in some sense here, of the family environment that we've got, whether it's a a holistic, uh, unified uh, birth parents, birth children family, or whether it's a, a mixed family, a uh, blended family, and this is certainly what you have, but you're intending to apply a biblical foundation to your family so that you can avoid some really bad things that can grow into the future. What are your thoughts for how you look to get things in place early? You know, I love that question because one of the hardest, one of the the most heartfelt things that I hear sometimes, that like it hurts my heart, is, well, he'll figure it out on his own, or he'll have his own voice, or he'll, and I know that that's intended with wonderful that wonderful intentions. The problem with that statement is that that's not what God says to do. God says several things. He says throughout the Psalms, throughout the Proverbs, he says that you are to give your child the instruction in the way that they are to go. He does not say throw them out there and they'll get their own voice. He says guide them in the way that they are to go. One of my superheroes in the Bible, one of my most favorite, um, I've got a lot of most favorites, but one of my most, most favorite is Joshua. And at the end of Joshua, in our family, we actually say this quite often as we're talking about what's happening in this world and how things can go sideways sometimes. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We do a lot of things in our home. Um, We, again, we enter into everything with prayer. So this concept of blessings, I believe that God has specific reasons for each one of us and specific blessings over our lives. So, for example, um, when I think about Ezra, our middle son, um, on a regular basis, he talks, he, he'll say Joshua 1, 7, and 8, where, you know, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey um, the, law of, of the law that's given to you by Moses. And he'll go through and he'll say the whole verse because it's about being focused on the direction God has for us. So I don't have the right as a parent to say, don't worry, you get to be wishy-washy. It is my job as a parent to say, God, how do you want me to raise this child in a way that's honoring to you because he belongs to you? I am just the host, and you've, you've allowed me the honor of being this parent and being the main guide. I don't want to stand before God and say, I didn't guide him in your way. I want to stand before God with a crown that I can, again, that makes me emotional, that I can lay at Jesus' feet and say, here's your children. I guided them your way. So God is so intentional. So Joshua, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We have a big burden of responsibility on our shoulders as parents, but you're identifying here what 
sounds to me like a starting point because mother and father, or even if you are only a single parent and you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, you've got to be able to see, say, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Because if you don't do that intentionally, you're going to be inviting resentments and anger and uh, and non-cooperation. Is that, is that the, the alternative if you don't actually get that identity right early? It really is. And if you look around at the world, you know, here's my favorite analogy. When you hop on an airplane, do you say, well, I wonder where the pilot's going to take us today? You hop on an airplane because you have a specific destination in mind. And an airplane actually is off course like 70% of the time just because of wind and turbulence and all those things. But it always lands in the destination because that's what it's focused on. We as parents, if I say, as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And what's my long-term goal? My long-term goal is to have children who know God, that are open to listening to Him. In order to have those children... So if I keep my eyes on that long-term vision, just like an airplane with a destination, I might be off course 70% of the time. But my decisions and what I'm gonna, how I'm going to respond to my kids, how I'm going to guide them, to have conversations with them when something's tough or weird or whatever the case may be, is always with that destination in mind. And you know what? It's amazing how much of the burden it lifts when I know the destination. The danger is when you hop into a car or a plane and you don't know where you're going, you don't know where you're gonna end up. You have to have your eyes on a prize and then every decision you make, is it gonna get me closer to that destination or farther? And it takes so much of the weight off the shoulders because now I've got a plumb line. And in our family, it's Jesus. What do you say, Anne, and fairly quickly, to those people who say, well, you know, I've heard about some of those things uh, through some courses I've sat through in church, or I've heard some things when there's been preaching from the pulpit about being a good mother, being a good father, and having these things intentional. But, uh, you know, I tried that for a little while, didn't work. What do you say to people about uh, about how you might be, uh, you know, growing in uh, your ability to, uh, you know, to hold the course, uh, to endure, to make sure those principles actually have foundation in your life? As funny as it sounds, I tell them to look farther out. If I look at where I want to be in a year or two, then I'm going to judge myself every step of the way. If I look at where I want to be in 50 years, now... When I make a mistake and stumble, because we do, I can still keep my eyes on there and say, you know what, I messed up, but I have the space to get back on track. And let's, before we take these things a little deeper still, let's take a call from Alison, who is listening in in Alstonville in New South Wales. Hello, Alison. Welcome. Um, I just wanted to share a little story, um, not similar to Anne's, but Sort of. Um, we, um, I have five birth children and we um, felt a burden for um, children in Australia, um, which is through our fostering program. And um, so we started fostering about 13 years ago and um, our second little baby that we took in was born addicted to many drugs. And when we first took her in at six days of age, um, I asked God 
what he wanted us to call her. And um, so we decided it would be Fifi, which is F-I-F-I, and which is similar to her birth name, which was Phoenix. So um, we um, took Fifi in as our very own and raised her as part of our family. And a a number of years later, um, a friend of mine who um, had a French father said, have you ever looked up what Fifi actually means? And I never had. I just knew that God had said that we should call her Fifi. Well, when I um, looked up what Fifi mean, it actually means God added. And um, I saw the um, importance of um, allowing God to help us name our children, which I had done for my five birth children. We have since adopted little Fifi, and she is nine years old now, and we have other foster children as well. So it was a similar sort of story to what Anne was talking about, um, her son and um, the importance of um, naming them as God would have. Alison, beautiful to hear from you. A response from Anne. Anne, what are your thoughts for Alison? I love that. You know, one of the things that God took... um, Uh, the story of Ruth and Naomi, I mean, he changes names. She wanted to call herself bitter and mar, and he said, no, that's not who you are. God is such, he uses names to bless. He uses names to, to tell us who we are, even when we don't know. I love that. Thank you, Allison, for blessing my, my day with your story. Allison, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You can respond to that Facebook question too. What do you think we learn about the value of families when our own family suffers loss and brokenness? And let me come back to this idea of blessing our children. And uh, wonderful to hear Alison and her reflection there. Naming a child is one way of blessing, but there's lots of ways that we bless our children. It's not all about just being nice, but blessing our children in a special way and a godly way. How do you think we ought to be uh, just nurturing this ability to bless our children at every opportunity? I'm going to play with the name concept for a second because it goes beyond the name of the child, you know, Caleb or Favor or Hannah. And it goes into then the nicknames of the child. If I call my child monster, well, what am I telling them to be? If I call my child um, the little devil, if I call my child, I don't know what nicknames that you have in Australia, but there are some in America that just make my heart cry. And then what will happen is I, I've, been, I've been teaching children um, for 20 years, and what will happen is this parent will come up to me, tell me how difficult their child is, how unable they are to listen, how all these things, and then they'll call their child by the nickname of Little Beast. <laughs> And it's like, well, you, you've actually told him to not listen to you. Or when you go up, when, when you're speaking to your friends or your parents or whoever, and, and the conversation's hard. I mean, my goodness, I, I'm, a mama, I'm a mom of three. There are times when, oh my goodness, why did uh, Caleb or choose to do this or oh my goodness this is one of those times and is in his development where he's really pushing back and that's challenging I totally get that but if I could say to you you know he's being a real brat right now 
well, yuck, I've just placed a curse upon my child. Or I could say, whoo, he's in that stage where he's pushing back a bit, but we're working through it because we're going to work through it as a family. And then my next statement is usually, and this is a normal stage. It is good that, why is he pushing back? Because if he doesn't develop independence at 2 and 3 or at 13, then he wouldn't be a healthy child. So he's at the point where he's independent, and so he's pushing back a little bit. So now my job is to guide him in how to be independent and still receive support from family. So there's a totally different way, and actually, for the record, Caleb is not in that stage of pushing back, but you know, it's, it's that, it, how do I talk about my children, and how do I talk to my children that actually convicts my heart? I know because of there's so much prayer in our family around wanting to bless each other, I know when I've said something that doesn't feel right. And so even this morning, as I was working with my kiddos on some musical stuff, they're, they're wonderful musicians. And um, about six months ago, in a practice time with my, with my middle son, I said something to him that this morning I remembered. And I looked at him and said, you know what, Ezra, I owe you an apology. Do you remember when I said these words to you six months ago? And he looked at me with a little bit of a tear in his eye, and he'd been smiling beforehand. And he said, yes, I do, Mom. And I said, Ezra, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I just felt it in my heart that you needed to hear that right now. And he gave me the, oh, see, I'm crying again. I cry a lot. I didn't used to cry for kids, but I do now. <laughs> he gave me the warmest hug because he needed to hear from me that I knew that that wasn't okay and that I messed up, but I'm sorry, and we can heal from it together. So when I talk about blessing children, I don't mean, good job, Johnny. I mean, what am I saying in the good times and in the hard that is, you know, it's all about the spiritual realm. When they're 2,000 miles away from me and I speak, their spirit knows it. How do I know that? Because God is a spiritual God. There is more going on than we can ever see. I have to acknowledge that my words, whether they can hear them or not, have an impact on who they are. So my oldest daughter, her nickname is Beauty. That's, that's what I call her when I'm talking to her. And her spirit, people will come up to me, and she's 13 years old, so she's a teenager, and she's going through some of the stages that teenagers go through, but she's going through them with grace and dignity. And people will come to me and say, your daughter's heart is so beautiful. And that makes my heart sing, because since she was born, her nickname is Beauty. And so... Each one of the kids, we have very intentional ways of talking about them, talking to them, disagreeing with them, allowing them to tell us when we're wrong. Do you know how hard it is when, you're, when your three-year-old daughter says, Mom, you're being rude, to not get really mad? <laughs> oh, my goodness. But when she was three and I was sitting outside a grocery store and she said, Mom, I think you need a time out. My first thought was, how dare you talk to your mom that way? And my second thought was better than my first. It was, how about you and dad go inside and I take that time out? Yeah. Yep. 
And in the heat of family battles and when you have strong-willed children to raise, uh, when the thoughts that go through your mind are not always uh, the most uh, (laughs) pure thoughts, uh, there's a certain sense here that what's happening on the inside of you as the parent and what's developing and what's being equipped and what's being nurtured there is going to come out when the heat of the battle is on. So you've got to be constantly aware of and working on what's happening with you on the inside and uh, the way we think, you know, the whole idea of a renewed mind and a, and a cleansed heart. Those sorts of things are important for the parent, aren't they? So perfectly stated. That's exactly right. What, you know, God says very clearly, what's in you will come out. So that actually means that I have to, like Paul says, take my very thoughts captive. I can't even think to myself, as a matter of fact, we don't use the words brat or we don't use those words anywhere. I don't even like saying them in this context because they're nothing but curses. And if I think them, they will spill out of me. They will. So I have to take my very thoughts captive It takes training and discipline. But remember what I said right before the break? If you think 50 years out, then when you slip and fall, because you will, it's okay. Because I'm going to slip less because I've got a long-term vision. And when I slip, I'm going to have the maturity to apologize. And that's really hard. When Hannah was probably, and and I'm using stories from Hannah and Ezra, but boy, if we use this with favor, it's been so powerful with him too. Um, When Hannah was about a year old, maybe less than that. Actually, I think she was much less than that because I don't think she was even crawling yet. I barked at her because, you know, she she was a, a young child and, oh my goodness, I was tired and frustrated and I barked at her and it startled her. And a few minutes later, I sat down and I looked her in the eyes and said, Hannah, I'm sorry, that wasn't the right way to respond to you. And here she is, she's not even crawling yet. And she looked me in the eyes and leaned in for a hug. Well, if it impacts an infant, imagine what happens to your teenager or your two-year-old or three-year-old because you're going to lose your patience. So it takes a lot of willingness to captivate your own thoughts and a lot of prayer and a lot of patience with yourself and keeping that long-term vision. The ability to apologize, though, is one of the best gifts you can give to your kids because, um, because it's so valuable to them. And it allows them to know how to, okay, I've just messed up. I'm the teenager now, and I was just rude to mom. Well, you know what? When she's rude to me, she apologizes. I bet you I can go and apologize to her, and that will help. And then as the parent, when your child has been rude to you, being willing to accept the apology and being willing to move on. Those are all things that it's an intentional, long-term benefit that will always pay wonderful dividends. It's easy, isn't it? And our human nature uh, doesn't necessarily know how to bless so easily as we do to curse because we're typically selfish and learning to be selfless is the sort of value that you're talking about passes on to our children. So your selflessness in being intentional with blessing 
does away with this selfishness that causes us want to curse. And, uh, and so our children, uh, this is what we hope will happen, is that they'll walk in our footsteps and they'll learn themselves that blessing is what is necessary with their own relationships. That is exactly right. And, and I keep going back to the statement of you're going, you're going to fall and you're going to fail. It's going to happen. But believe it or not, it's just like weightlifting or running a long marathon or whatever it is, or even just practicing an instrument. It gets easier and better over time. And God blesses faithfulness. He does. He is so abundant with his patience with us. He's so abundant with his love for us that when we attempt to captivate our thoughts and to be selfless and to think about the bigger picture than myself in that moment, God absolutely blesses that. And in your book, Favor a World Turned Upside Down. It's a children's book and it tells the story of favor. Do some of these sorts of principles about blessing come through in the way you've written your book? You know, the intention with the book is so fun because it's it, it's a long it's a, it's a it's a long book for a children's book. Um, it's got a couple of it's a chapter book, but it's got some big illustrations. It has some big illustrations in there and kind of shows the picture story. And the reason for that was I would like a child to be able to sit down and hear the story and look at the pictures, relate to Favor's situation, and realize that. So you've got Hannah. Some of the blessings they're very subtle because I wanted it to be from Favor's standpoint so that other kids in, in any situation of separation could kind of have something to dig into. You know, there's this theme throughout the book of I don't need family. And when he gets to the end, he discovers that actually, maybe he does. And so you've got this, you know, he was scared about something, but his sister wasn't, so maybe he could try it. And he didn't like something, but his brother did, so maybe he could try it. And those little small things that he got to observe the people that he was learning to trust, he was able to watch them, see how they interacted, you know, the laughter through a diaper change. So they're sharing giggles with each other. And just the the fact that the family walks with him through the story, if you go back and you read the book, with the, okay, what blessings did he see? You're going to find several that just kind of pop out there. And ones that are, you're going to be able to watch his journey and how we supported his mindset change because he had to choose to be in our family. Everybody, even a natural-born child, has to choose to be a part of your family. You can give birth to a kiddo, and then they can become so angry and so estranged that you just you totally separate. It's a constant choice to work together, to live together, to bless each other. So if you go through and you read it with those eyes, it's very fun because you can see where the support of his family helped Favor realize that maybe God had a plan here and it was for the good. And let's top off our conversation by talking about how you cooperate together. And I know that you love the idea of laughter. Laughter is a part of your family. And when you've got children and you've got the three of them, 
and you've got uh, the p- possibilities that things could go awry. But you've got this idea of laughing together. That's a wonderful way to unite children. And as parents, it's something it's a fun activity to participate in. I am quite sure that God has a tremendous sense of humor. For starters, he made man and woman to live together. And that can, you know, you've got two, two polar opposites right there. You know, he gives us so much opportunity. He wants us to be full of hope, faith, love, and peace. And when you have those things, you have the freedom to have joy and to giggle. And when you just don't know which way to turn, but you're able to find the humor, you're able to find the joy, you're able to giggle together. Giggles bring families closer together. They really do because they're safe. They're safe. They're fun. There's something you can mutually share. It's, it's, it's this spiritual connection of finding something where you can let all of your defenses down and just enjoy the moment. And when you look back on your life, you don't remember every single thing that ever happened. Instead, you remember these moments that were either shining spots or terrible spots. Well, how do you get those shining spots as a family? When you have those moments of laughter together, and are you able to create the environment where you have more shining spots than hard moments? Because we're going to have hard moments. So laughter is, it's a unifier. Wait, my kids, I'm so delighted to say that I have a terrible, punny sense of humor. And I'm very happy that they are joining me in those very bad jokes. We get regular eye rolls as a family because it's fun. And even my 13-year-old thinks it's cool to roll her eyes at her mom in a fun and silly way with a really bad joke because that's what we've always done and she sees those as those shining moments in her in her memories well Anne, it is wonderful talking to you and very hard not to just be inspired with your story and i want to point listeners to your book the book is called favor a world turned upside down and you're able to get a hold of favor you could simply google it and you'll find it at a lot of online booksellers but you could also go directly to Anne's website, anneweaverbooks.com. That's A-N-N-E, weaverbooks.com. And Anne's written some other books too, one of those called Farm Fiasco, which follows her three children and their adventure on a farm. So a children's author, but with a real deep and intentional way of thinking about how you apply those family values from your Christian faith into the situations that you'll face the good the bad and the ugly that you face as a parent when you're raising children uh, anneweaverbooks.com the book we've been talking about this hour favor a world turned upside down and uh, god's richest blessing on you and the family and especially on favor as he grows up and no doubt there'll be a day there'll be all sorts of reuniting opportunities perhaps with his birth mother or I know you keep a, a close uh, communication with her but uh, expecting good things for your future and thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020 thank you so much for having me thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media to find out more about us go to vision.org.au 